So uh, this is basically episode 32 or so of the Brilliant Podcast. We're having a conversation uh, this month where we're talking about what does DIY culture look like when it grows up. We've sort of talked to a range of people with varying amounts of sort of professional experience. Um, you know, one thing I think that's worth mentioning uh, before we talk to M today is that we're we're doing we're talking to a lot of people who are very West Coast people, and I think that for people who don't who live outside of the West Coast, some of our conversations are going to feel a little unfair, uh, mostly because in a lot of the rest of the country or or countries being the U.S. and Canada, uh, we just don't have. Uh, a lot of people just don't have the kind of access to, to sort of healthcare providers who come out of DIY culture. Um, so I guess to start the conversation with M, uh, my first question for you is, how were you introduced to the idea of herbalism and sort of non-aliopathic medicine? Well, interesting you ask, because I would definitely say that DIY culture is what brought me to it. Um, when I was a sort of older teenager, you know, early 20s, um, I spent a lot of time traveling, you know, hitchhiking around and hopping trains and whatnot and wanting to sort of, you know, find that way of living, you know, living outside of the system. And I started to read and learn a lot about, like, wild edible foods particularly, and that is sort of what led me into learning about medicinal plants and then it just sort of took off from there. And just to jump ahead, because uh, the thing that you have in the context of herbalism that's quite unusual here in the States is that uh, Canada has some options to be a professional herbalist. And uh, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and what's different between that and practicing herbalism in the U.S.? Um, they're actually not really that different. And in my understanding, they have different organizations um, that sort of oversee them to some degree. Like in the U.S., you know, if you want to be a registered herbalist, you would register with the American Herbalist Guild, the AHG. And in Canada, it's called the Canadian Herbalist Association. But they're both essentially just like quality control organizations. And the actual, like, uh, profession of being an herbalist is unregulated in both the U.S. and Canada. So, th so there isn't actually a, a sort of professional option in the Canadian context. No, the only option is to become a member of the professional organization, and then you can call yourself a registered professional herbalist. But you can oh, practice. You can practice without being a member as well. Oh, that's interesting. And and do you feel like like have you met other people who sort of are professional or professionalized in any way? Well, uh, like, are you are you in the crew? Like the herbalism crew? Yeah, yeah. No, no, they're all really weird yuppies. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, like, for those people, are they actually making, like, a grown-up living? Or is it still, you know, like, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, well, how does it compare to, to naturopathy? Yeah, naturopathy definitely makes more money, um, for sure. There are some herbalists, you know, I'll just use BC as an example. There's a few herbalists who are, like, I would say quite successful. They've written books. You know, they travel, teach all, all around the continent. And then there are some who say, like, run an herb school, right? Or maybe they work. Uh, some actually also teach at the naturopathic college here. Um, but I would not say that it you would make anywhere near the living that you would make as a naturopath, as an herbalist. It would be very hard 
to do that. Interesting. So, so okay, so how many years of uh, training do you feel like you had from the, from the day where you started being like, I would like to become an herbalist to, to, to when you left school? Yeah, so I spent, you know, the first few years, say, from, like, you know, 2007 to 2009, just really, like, learning on my own and just being really excited about it and just, like, hanging out with plants and learning about them and talking to people who knew stuff about plants. And then in 2009 was really when I was decided that I wanted to go to school formally, um, and I went to school for about four years uh, from that time. And that was when I graduated being, like, you know, the, a clinical herbalist. And then did you do apprentices after that, afterwards? No, my, my school program included a year uh, clinical training with mentorship. So it sort of covers that. And now uh, in the job that I'm working, I actually do have the opportunity to have a mentor as a, a, a like, and I get paid to be a student to them. So. so, to rewind the clock uh, back to the start, um, you know, when you first started getting excited about this knowledge and training, was your hope to sort of run in a in a pack of people who, you know, were sort of witchy people who who did this as a vocation and and then to bring that to 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 sort of like your people, or did you think that this was that this was going to have a clinical and a professional angle? I mean, I really did it because it was just what I loved doing. I I didn't really start thinking about it as, like, something that could support me professionally until maybe a year ago, like, after I graduated even. So oh. um, I think, like, in Canada, it's a little bit different of a context than the States. Like, even the anarchist milieu in Canada and the DIY milieu, I would say, is, like, has less of an element of alternative healthcare as a as a part of it and a lot less people um, who are doing that kind of like witchy herbalism thing. So I was really like most of my friends who were like DIY grown up anarchists were all going to nursing school or social work school. So I was really like kind of different in that sense. Uh-huh. And when I went to the States to go to school was really when I found that pack of like witchy rad herbalists was actually at the school that I went to. Do you, uh, does the Canadian healthcare system have more openness towards non-Western medicine? Absolutely not. Oh, really? I would say it's very closed uh, with, you know, some doctors are more or- open to it, but um, most doctors and pharmacists and nurses and, you know, the sort of mainstream healthcare professionals are very wary of it and actually will often really use a lot of fear to try and um, convince their patients to not use it. That's interesting. And, um, uh, you know, sort of in the U.S., I think we have some idealized ideas as to what the Canadian single-payer type system is like. My understanding is that it's becoming less open and less sort of usable for individual people. Is that true? You know, I don't access the healthcare system much, so my experience is mostly through my clients and hearing their stories. And a lot of my clients are very chronically ill. They are on disability and feel like the healthcare system is totally failing them. That being said, you know, if you have healthcare, then you can go to the ER and get treatment. But 
you know, you don't get to choose, you often don't get to choose your doctors, um, you know, you don't have that kind of connection to your healthcare providers. It's, it feels very streamlined here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people feel like they fall through the cracks. Right. So not that this is your personal responsibility, but to the extent to which you'd like to bring the knowledge that you've gained over the past 10 years back to sort of where you started out, how would you do it and how would you do it differently than it was given to you when you were a tyke? Well, I guess for one thing, I just want to bring herbalism as like one piece of, you know, struggles against capitalism and colonization because I think that, you know, our finding some, not all, but some autonomy over our bodies and our health is one way that we can feel empowered and struggle. And the other piece is really being a part of some kind of community, which is like my, you know, ideal for the future, but I've never really, I haven't got there. So I'm not sure what that will be like, but, you know, I would love to be a, you know, village herbalist and support my community and by being a healthcare provider um, and be able to sort of have, have a little bit less of like an economic relationship to people, but rather more of like a personal and community-based relationship to people. Well, I I guess to to ask the question in a different way, um, so, you know, back in the day, if you went to an anarchist event, you oftentimes were offered the opportunity to go to a something like a, an herbalism workshop or a woman's health workshop or something like that and those days seem to be gone and um, if if we were if those days were to return what would be different in other words if, if your hands were involved um, well I definitely I wouldn't say that those are completely gone I mean I've taught herbalism classes at recent, anarchist or radical gatherings but I think for me it's you know it's about tying it all together more than just the the skill shares themselves like I definitely am really excited about sharing my knowledge and teaching classes and um, plan to be doing that whenever I can I'll be doing some plant workshops at an upcoming gathering um, anarchist gathering and uh, you know, a sort of radical herb conference as well. So I definitely want to be sharing that knowledge and, and I'm doing that whenever I can. Um, but I also, like, I think that we're kind of at this point where it's a little bit less, like, idealistic. Like, oh, we just need to, like, you know, take control of our menstrual cycles and then everything will change or something. I I feel like it's a lot more important to be tying it in with a lot of other kinds of struggles and to really be talking about herbalism from the perspective of, like, defending the land and connecting with plants. Take that one step further. Like, like, let's say, so obviously you're in British Columbia. There's there's a variety of native-led encampments happening around British Columbia. Uh, Is that what you're talking about, or are you talking about sort of starting a, a back-to-land village of people who could use your services? Well, I think it, it's not necessarily either, but it's not not. It's it's a bit of an interesting relationship being here in British Columbia where there's, you know, quite a lot of indigenous resistance going on. And um, a lot of it is very, like, far from the city. Like, a lot of the encampments and such are, like, you know, 15, 20 hours away. Wow. Um so it, in in one sense, like yeah, I feel like for my in my own clinical practice, like a lot of my clients are indigenous, right? They live in poverty. 
in Vancouver and are looking for support. And, you know, to some degree, sure, I can, you know, provide some resources for them to connect with healers from their own community or their own tradition. But on another level, I feel like there's this really basic, you know, fulfillment and healing that comes from humans being connected with the land that they live on, whether that means having a garden or spending time in the woods or just learning about the plants or maybe talking to the plants, right? It looks different for everyone, but that is a level of what I would say decolonization that is to some degree like accessible to anyone, right? It's not only a matter of supporting indigenous struggles, though that is also an important part of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because of this conversation, I'm, uh, you know, we organize a, a book fair here in December, and we always have the book fair have this very theoretical orientation, and so I'm sort of trying to put myself on the hook for what it would look like to integrate the kind of, the kind of teaching and knowledge that, that you're talking about. This year, we were talking a little bit about having a second day, and just as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, it, it might actually be exciting or interesting for that second day to to be a practical day or, you know, a, a day where, you know, and, it, and my interest is not to have the activists sort of dominate that day if, the, if that were to happen. And so how would you have it be sort of not new age, which obviously your people can can air towards, and not activists, which obviously a lot of Bay Area people can air towards. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting idea. And I think, you know, part of what is missing in a lot of, I don't know what to call it, you know, a lot of, you know, anti-capitalist or anti-authoritarian organizing is having space for really practical face-to-face discussions about what that looks like in our daily lives. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, trying to learn from the mistakes of the past, I mean, anytime you have DIY workshops in the past, of course, you know, it just, it just tends to air towards the silliness um, of people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about sharing partial knowledge to a bunch of people who barely are listening, but who will perhaps use the zines later to, to hurt themselves. And obviously I'm thinking, you know, specifically about like female health issues, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, you know, and again, like, for the course of this conversation, I'm really just looking to, like, do you feel, in hindsight, that um, you're happy with the trajectory you've made, or do you think you you would have made different decisions, for instance, going into nursing or something like that? Going to a what, sorry? Going into nursing or something like that, because obviously nursing is the obvious, more professional step, and never getting a job in herbalism would be the, the less professional step, right? Yeah, no, I definitely do not want to be a healthcare provider that's regulated by the state. Their scope of practice is so slim, and the schooling is awful. Um, You know, so there's sometimes a part of me that wishes that I, you know, could be in that system so that I could, you know, offer people alternatives, but that those moments are few and far between. I would say most days... I am, like, absolutely thrilled at the path that I've chosen. And right now, like, working at a really busy, subsidized wellness center, you know, financially accessible to people, you know, sometimes I wonder about 
my own, like the sacrifice that I make to work there in terms of, you know, my desire to also be able to have more flexibility and to be able to travel and whatnot. And so, you know, being a healthcare provider means taking on responsibility for other people's health. And that's just a reality. And that's the part that, you know, sometimes I wonder about being able to do that, you know, for a long time. And I don't know how long I'll be doing that for, but I, you know, I do take on responsibility by being a care provider for people. Right. Well, awesome. Thank you very much for this conversation. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Continuing on our series of interviews that we've been doing with uh, broadly stated healthcare professionals, but we'll we'll, bro- we'll broaden into other uh, careers later on. And really, we're talking about careers because we're really talking about people who who took some sort of interesting subject that they that they had, you know, when they were younger and when they were more committed and dedicated to sort of the DIY scene, and and we've been talking about what happened later or how they, how they drew that interest into something that they could then do as part of their daily life. And in, in our world, in a capitalist world, daily lives look like careers. So today we're going to talk with my long friend, longstanding friend, Liz, who I've known, I think about a decade. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that she took whatever spark she had and is now officially a nurse. Hello, Liz. Uh, hi, Aragorn. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about your introduction to, to healthcare within the within the world, the anarchist world, within the DIY culture, etc.? Yeah, when I was a 16, 17 years old, growing up in San Francisco, um, was introduced by some friends to a needle exchange and a homeless outreach project through HYA that's um, still there and working on getting space in the hate ashbury And so I kind of got into doing needle exchange and harm reduction. And what was, what I did not, one of the things about harm reduction, how inclusive it is and how much going into a space when you are a drug user, when you are treated like without stigma and as if you have something to offer, can be a really transformative experience. And when I went, I think I saw myself as someone who was going to offer services to other people, and later in life was able to kind of reflect back and see myself as a person who was using drugs at the time and who actually got the ability to build a sense of self-esteem and a sense of purpose through engaging in those engaging in those programs. I continued to do harm reduction and syringe exchange for the next 10 years in and out of the Bay Area. Um, and that was really the place, like the point of entry to me for for healthcare. And do you think that you would point to needle exchange specifically as being the thing that uh, 
changed your relationship to, to using legal drugs and to your relationship to drugs generally? I think there are a lot of things. I think there are a lot of things that had to do with it, but if I think about it, it was for many years something that I could say that I was doing involved in that I felt proud of, um, which wasn't, which at like different points in my life wasn't necessarily limited to needle exchange being the only thing. Um, in general, the times in my life when I felt proud of something that I was doing, there was some relationship to action or politics, um, you know, for a while, kind of traveling around protesting uh, squatters' rights in Europe, things like that. And, um, but that one was really consistent, and it was something I could do anywhere that I went. It was something that was always accessible to me, and it was the thing when I stopped drinking and using that I immediately turned to as a way to focus my time and energy. So today you're a, you're a, a, a functioning nurse. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, most of the people who we've talked to so far are in the more DIY medical areas. Um, I was actually a little surprised to hear I, I talked to a Canadian herbalist and she she surprised me in, in sort of saying that there, I thought that it was much more regulated and much more sort of part of the healthcare world up there and she sort of uh, dissuaded me of that opinion. But uh, can you talk a little bit about why you didn't go as your interest in medical career type things went, why you didn't go more in the direction of the herbalist or the massage therapist and why you went sort of straight ahead, allopathic medicine nurse? Initially, I got into, was kind of going into a more like into that path um, in order just to get involved, to continue to do harm reduction in a way that had more kind of clout behind it. Initially, I started taking prerequisites just to do phlebotomy and do blood draws so I could do hepatitis C and HIV testing, um, which I did do for a number of years in school, and kind of saw the limits to the social work side of, like, in terms of doing kind of the more DIY street outreach stuff for needle exchange and for homeless outreach and things like that, like, that feels really effective. That feels really tangible. It feels like something where I can, you know, immediately see the result that I am, like, invested in and that I care about. And that's something that's so hard to find in kind of anything in the world or in my life. And and so that's like how, like what I was so passionate about was seeing that immediate result every single time that wasn't dependent on the response of another person or an organization or the permission of someone else. Um, but that's not social work at all. And I think um, the decision I made to go into nursing was based on the idea of being able to connect those social ideas, but with the more tangible and kind of immediately responsive medical model to have more ability. Like, I hope to go back to school and get prescriptive authority so that I can do addiction medicine and be able to prescribe the medications that are so hard to access that do have those, like, tangible real-world effects. So kind of went into nursing school as a way to get out of just doing the, the social parts that you can do yourself. I think for me, in terms of like the herbalism, massage route, part of it is it's just not my nature. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not my character. Um, and it's also stuff that, in terms of herbalism, something that I would like to learn more about at some point, but have the like 
ability to do that in a self-directed way. And the nursing license isn't something that I could do on my own. So I went into school with those ideas in mind. And then a lot of things changed over <laughs> over the years that are kind of coming, like, more in contact with what the reality would look like to be a nurse. And how has being a nurse changed what, how you feel about needle exchange in hindsight? It hasn't changed at all how I feel about needle exchange. It's changed a lot. It's changed a lot about how much I feel like I can connect the two. I think I've been a nurse for two years, and I've been working in an emergency room. Um, I decided to go into the emergency room because there's this connection there between public health and harm reduction, but also just critical care medicine, which I find really interesting and I'm good at, and I think it's fun to think about. Um, so I got to kind of broaden my scope, but also what I thought was, um, it's a the emergency room is a place that we really, really need some different ideas about harm reduction and addiction. And about two years into it, I'm questioning how possible it really is to act outside of like, the institution that you are a part of while you're participating in it. And I think the answer changes situationally. Um, for me, it's very different kind of day-by-day day and shift-by-shift, but it is really limited. Um, so my thoughts and ideas about needle exchange haven't changed, but my ideas about how integrated that can be with a career in medicine at this point have. It does sound like you started out as a bit of an adrenaline junkie, perhaps some of your motivation to be a drug user in the first place, and you found something societally acceptable, uh, a societally acceptable way of being an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. I mean, the ER is great for that. It's great. I still, I think, like, there used to be a lot of adrenaline and a lot of chaos and a lot of, like, boundaryless things um, in all of my life. And at this point, I can, like, clock in, get paid for them, and clock out if I need to or want to. And um, it makes it a lot easier to, like, make the choices about who I want to be and how I want to be the rest of the time where I can put that stuff into, like, into a box and get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, I guess, part of my motivation for, for having these conversations. And and I want to do it in this uh, additional context. I've been writing the introduction to the Do or Die anthology that we're about to put out. And a lot of what Do or Die end up... Do you remember Do or Die, the publication? Mm-mm. It was... A contemporary publication, or actually came out. A little, it was out a little bit earlier than Green Anarchy, but it was from the UK, and so it talked a lot more about road building than it did about tree sitting, and it talked a lot more sort of sophisticatedly about the integration between a green anarchist perspective and a, a, a defender of ecology perspective. So they were at least five years ahead of us, maybe even more, in terms of sort of green anarchists being the people who inhabited. Earth first, but um, but around the same time that they came up with a pretty sophisticated perspective, their Earth first more or less uh, died and no longer really did much. So um, so what's relevant about it is that at the end of it, they wrote this uh, this essay that you probably have seen. It's in a zine version that's been floating around for years called "Downward Winter, Up with Spring." Do you remember mm-hmm. this or "Downward Empire, Up with Spring"? 
So that that uh, pamphlet is basically a history of Earth first actions in the UK, but it ended with this really strong piece called the Four Tasks, and the Four Tasks from a certain perspective, could be read as sort of the new attitude that people have taken towards doing actions ever since the end of Duradai, which ended about ten, a little over 10 years ago. Um, anyways, I mention all this because one of the four tasks of Do or Die was uh, create, inhabit, and make stronger counterculture, which, especially right now in North America, seems like a laughable task to sort of set radicals upon, right? Radicals have more or less totally abandoned or, or shooed counterculture, pretending that somehow we're not a counterculture anymore. Um, and uh, there's tons of consequences to this, but I sort of, I guess, I agree with that with that task. In other words, I, I guess I'm, I'm one of the last people left who, who thinks that counterculture or something like counterculture is what we need to to articulate, you know, who it is that we are and how we're different than maybe where we came from and blah, 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 blah. So, so I guess part of how they're defining counterculture, of course, is as something that's, you know, rich and multi-generational and maybe more interesting than, than what 20 something year olds are able to create just out of their pretty little heads. And, um, uh, and of course, for me, this conversation around healthcare is really a conversation about infrastructure and how do we build the things that we need to survive a world where capitalist solutions fail. And so I guess I would, I'll stop talking <laughs> and I'll, I'll listen to your ideas on, on that question. Can you imagine a world or can you imagine what nursing would look, look, look like outside of capitalism? Yeah, I'm silent for a minute because it's something that I think about a lot and I don't have a lot of answers to. Well, maybe to, to ask the question from a, a much smaller perspective. Obviously, you have life stuff and, you have, and you're pretty new in your career, but can you imagine a point where you bring that knowledge, the knowledge that you have that makes you a nurse, bring it back to quote-unquote counterculture or to the anarchist space? And, and do something with it here? Yeah, I, I can. And I think part of what I've seen is that, for me, the past couple of years have been such a time of learning and building this skill um, mm -hmm. that it is only, you know, that it is, it is only recently that I'm able to start thinking about how to take it outside of, like, the institutions that I learn and practice it in um, because I need to have it first. <laughs> And that that has been its own process. Um, I think that a lot of that there's two different parts to nursing, um, and the question and which parts of them you can bring to a countercultural space depend a lot on the on the space and what it's looking for. But there's a medical aspect in terms of, and that's something that you know that I get to do interpersonally, although not necessarily in like a, in a way specific to an anarchist or a radical or counterculture environment where you get the chance to talk to people about their bodies and about the things that are going on for them and to provide kind of like whatever insight or reassurance that you have that comes from your experience of seeing people, seeing things over and over and over again um, and kind of understanding how they can play out. And then there's also the like like a kind of social theory of nursing, which is that you're treating a person, not an illness. And so 
there is an approach to thinking about health that isn't as firmly rooted in kind of the traditional Western biomedical model as like the series of being a doctor, as like different types of medicine are. And then I think, I think some of it has to do with resources and with resources, like how much, there's so much of the model of healthcare that you learn as a nurse that is really, really dependent on the resources that you have in terms uh, of, yeah, so just in terms of materials. Um, you know, I mean, if I have my stock room and my open pharmacy, there's, you know, I can, you know, stop someone from dying sometimes. And if I don't have that, a lot of times there's nothing, you know, then what is it that I can do? Like so much of what we do is based on our access to the specific tools that we're given, which are wrapped up in like pharmaceuticals and, and hospital resources. So I think some of it is like learning the model and then figuring out what resources you can recreate or access on your own. And then for the ones that you can't figuring out, you know, how to get them and how useful they are outside of the infrastructure of like a Western medical system. A lot of these resources don't do any good really if they can't be supported more long-term. Um, but I think a lot of it is just a, tra- a lot of it is just translation. Like when you look at something that's really complicated or, you know, according to the model needs access to this, this and this, and it has to be sterile. It has to be done exactly this way. And you need this medication you know, how much of that can be translated into just really simple day-to-day stuff that people can do to keep themselves um, healthy or get themselves unsick, you know? And that's something that you can talk about and bring, bring to other people. And I think part of it is, try, for me, trying to figure out, like, what is unique about my training? What is unique about being a nurse that I can bring to countercultural spaces, which is, like, which has been my challenge in terms of getting back into, like, the harm reduction and... Uh, addiction medicine is under, is trying to figure out what I can do differently now than what I was doing before. And I haven't really answered that question entirely yet. Yeah, it's interesting. When I, when I think about my own professional life, uh, I definitely gave myself two to four years after I started and after I started working 40 hours a week and after I started like living in that particular way before I basically said, okay, I've done this thing. Now I can come back and, and figure out what's useful about it. Now I can share what I, you know, what I've learned basically. And I, and so, so there is a a real sense in which it's probably a couple more years before you're going to be in that place. So I, so I, I don't mean to, to sound judgy. No, I, not at all. I mean, I feel that way too. And it's one of the things I look forward to. Um, one thing I think a lot about, and this is just, and this is something that I do again on like a, relational level or an interpersonal level is um, just like being able to talk to people about how access to healthcare and particularly like through the emergency room, which is where a lot of people access healthcare and where a lot of people experience like some of the kind of worst moments in relation to the healthcare system or in relation to their own bodies to be able to explain like what's going on on the other side of it in like an attempt to give people the most ability to navigate it and get the outcomes that they want or that they mm-hmm. hope for, which is really hard to do because it's pretty impenetrable <laughs> when you're on the other side of it, I think. Sure. Or like when I talk to other people, like 
understanding like, wow, like, yeah, like I have, I have a lot of knowledge about how this works and how you can get more of what you want and need from it if you understood it better. And I think that's like part of the knowledge that people who are in these kind of mainstream or institutionalized careers can bring is like, how does this thing that affects you in a very tangible, physical way actually work? And how can you get, you know, have more, whatever more power you can have in relation to it? Sure. Yeah, I, I think about the fact that I I really am like most people and that I, I would not have had any interaction with hospitals until I was in my 30s if it weren't for, you know, getting stabbed when I was 20. And, and more or less, the, the bulk of my, I mean, now I can go to the hospital any time I, I have the variety of middle-aged dings and, and divots or something on my body. But, um, but realistically, the only, the only time I've ever needed to be in the hospital is because it's because of, you know, of basically fighting. <laughs> right. And like, yeah. And what does that mean? In ter- you know, what can you know in terms of how people think about that, how they respond to it and like what, what actions will be taken on your behalf because of that, that you're not aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, you know, that I get to talk to people about. And I think it is that, yeah, I think when I was younger as well, for the most part, I mean, outside of pregnancy, I have not really like had any reason to talk to a doctor about a whole lot of anything. Um, except injuries, you know? Right. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. I broke my wrist when I was uh, 17. Now that I remember. Right, but, (laughs) so, yeah, and I also, for me personally, kind of, like, the nursing role traditionally is one that is, and this is, like, gendered and historical, but it's one of an assistant, and I think that's something that I think a lot about in terms of, like, what skills do I have um, that can be kind of rerouted and brought to a subculture environment when you're trained to be a backup. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you, which, oh, I mean, sorry. do you think that's, do you think that's necessarily fair? Like, in other words, can you imagine at a certain point in your career not feeling like you, like that's so true as it is at, at this point? Yeah. I mean, you see it, you know, I think as you develop mastery, it's a lot easier to break out of, it's hard when you're not good at something to like, be like, no, I'm not going to fit into this subordinate role. Right. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, you can do it and you can say it, but ultimately, like, if you aren't a master of your craft to overcome the assumption that you already, you know, know less and can do less, when frankly, that's still actually just true, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, it's really hard. So I think, like, you know, but, yeah, by the way, that would be the, that would be the opposite of counterculture. Oftentimes, the person who sort of can talk the best and uh, seem the most confident does tend to, to, to lead the uh, lead activities. Plan walk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And that's not my favorite. That's not my favorite part of it. You know, <laughs> that's like something I don't like about a lot of things. And on, particularly when it comes to medicine and healthcare, as you see that a lot, um, people who don't have a whole lot, of information, but have a whole lot of, like, you know, gung-ho attitude. Um, so, yeah, so I think, like, it is totally possible to make a choice 
to um, try and subvert that and to take on a different role as a less of an assistant, as less of like a, you know, traditionally like I'll do the female care provider part where I'm emotionally available and then kind of follow orders on everything else. Um, but it takes it takes time and it takes skill and it takes more years of practice to really be able to cross that line. Um, I think emergency, the emergency room is a place where you have to do enough things quickly enough that you get to do a lot of them on your own. Um, and it's a place I get to learn that. But it does bring up for me like issues of do I need more of a degree? Like do I need to be more legitimized in a like mainstream professional context in order to have something to offer a counterculture environment. And something and I think that that's like, you know, do I need to have prescriptive authority? Do I need to be an advanced practice nurse? And I think that's something other people look at as well, like Well let me ask let me ask the question I started out with to you, with you putting on a different hat, which is do you think it would that if you were at the same point in your career and you were a doctor instead of a nurse, that that you would immediately be more useful to 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 answering the questions of helping out or being being part of building infrastructure that's outside of capitalism? Because it seems like doctors are constrained by the same problem you have. Yeah, absolutely, they are. And in terms of in terms of building an infrastructure that is like profoundly outside of capitalism. I'm not sure how different they are. In terms of building, like, things you have to offer to subcultural spaces that exist within, like, all of the frameworks that we already live within, yes, I think it has more to offer. And those two sections are really, really different. Right. I mean, we're really talking, the main thing that they have that's different is they have diagnostic abilities. The the, The main difference I see is the prescriptive authority. Okay, right. And outside of capitalism, that would, that would change. And outside of capitalism, that means nothing. Right. <laughs> it means right. nothing at all. Um, yeah. But inside of capitalism, I think it's huge. I think uh-huh. that, like, our access to medications that, like, can be... When you talk about prescription, prescriptive ability, you know, I think that most people would immediately just think that you're talking about, like, pharmaceutical stuff, which which we hate. But... But you're also talking about pain relief, basically any type of pain relief. I'm talking about any type of pain relief. I'm talking about, like, access to transition hormones. I'm talking about, you know, access to medications that can drastically change people's relationships to um, drugs and alcohol. I mean, I'm talking about about prescriptions that have kind of an immediate quality of life impact that then allow people to engage and participate in the ways that they choose to in a counterculture. Right. But, I mean, that's just a question I have of myself is, you know, would I feel, would I feel more engaged in a more legitimized role or, you know, um, which I just think is an interesting paradox to be like, you know, the more legit you are under capitalism, does that mean you have more to offer in... Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. is that true? Do you, I mean, to, to wrap this conversation up, because we are really only talking about a small question today, and maybe another time we'll talk about something a little bigger, um, is there is there something here that that you have thought about that I haven't in terms of sort of this question, or, or maybe to put it a different way, do you have any questions? Um, 
because I'm sort of springing this question on you more broadly, right? I mean, you know, you're two years into, let's say, your your four-year journeymanship. Um, you know, you're not a master of nursing yet. And obviously, this question will be different once you are. The question will be different, yeah, once I am, I think. Um, you know, no, I think the question I've been asking myself, because the, because the kind of countercultural DIY space that I came from is harm reduction, syringe exchange, you know, like that is a place I know how to plug into because that was my access point. Whereas in terms of different kinds of like more explicit anarchist projects were not ones that I engaged in from a healthcare perspective. And so plugging back into the kind of DIY counterculture that I came from is easy for me with like I know, I know how to do that. I still have questions about how it changes um, as I get more mastery, but I know what to do and how to do it. Whereas in terms of how to integrate this nursing thing that I've only experienced or kind of only done in the real legit straightforward way into like other kind of cultural spaces and more explicitly anarchist ones is just a question a question I have that I don't have an answer to. Well, thank you very much for your time. And yeah, I'm thank sure you for talking will, to me. Yeah, I'm sure we'll re- revisit this another time. <laughs>